Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. 
if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. So they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In my home, I keep a special treasure. It's a sculpture that was given to me by my parents when I was born. Over the years, it has suffered damage and injury, most of which I did to it when I was very young and then more as a teenager and young adult. But with the advice of a master sculpture I know, I have been able to patch it up pretty good although it continues to suffer damage from time to time. Once again, the damage is usually caused by my poor choices in how I handle the sculpture. But I cherish the sculpture very highly, for you see, it is an image of God, and I brought it in front of you today. You also have such a sculpture. For you see, we are all created in the image of God, a moving sculpture of God, each of us being seen at a different angle, at a different time, and with a different lens. I am a moving sculpture of God, just as you are a moving sculpture of God. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Our particular image of God, we ourselves, we're all different. We're all valuable, and we've all damaged God's image over the years. Becoming a mature Christian, a mature Christian believer, is the process of repairing that image that sculpture, and with the advice of the master sculptor, removing the damage that we've done to our copy of God's image. There are cracks where our anger got the better of us. There's broken pieces where we fell for an addiction of some sort, drink, cigarettes, drugs, gambling, even a hobby or a lust. There are little chips where we made choices that injured us. But there are also beautiful spots where God's image is not damaged, where the surface is smooth and shiny, where we've been able to repair the damage with God's help. And hopefully this repair process will continue to allow us to see the original image of God much clearer as time goes on. Hopefully others will see God's image in us as we continue to work on repairing our version of God's image, our sculpture, ourselves. 
after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, let me explain what this means. It means that all Jesus could think about was God. His mind was full of God thoughts. His internal voice was full of conversation about what God wanted and how Jesus could and should react. If you had run into him, you would have thought that he was lost in the clouds and the only thing he would have talked to you about was God. Monday morning, this past Monday morning as I lay in bed in that in-between state, that state between dream and fully awake, all I could think about was how to present this idea of the image of God to you. Several ideas entered my mind and then left. I can't even tell you what they are now. But that was the way the Holy Spirit was filling my mind with what the Spirit wanted. Jesus that day, walking in the wilderness, listening to the Spirit, he went deep into the desert wilderness in the south of Israel. He wasn't interested in food, for food wasn't nearly as important as organizing those thoughts that the Spirit was giving him. He walked around 40 days and he didn't eat anything. But by the end of the 40 days, he had become hungry. Of course, there wasn't any food in the desert. And it was at that time that the devil, the deceiver, the liar, spoke to him because the devil loves to come up to us when we're lost in the wilderness, alone, and our physical body is weak. The devil said, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus considered a stone. His blood sugar was probably low and things began to be a little bit out of focus. The stone looked like a loaf of bread, rounded. Maybe it looked like a big roll like those you find in the Kroger bakery. But Jesus shrugged off the temptation. He didn't even attempt to turn the stone into bread. He just said back to the devil, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3 where Moses reminded the Israelites of their 40 years in the wilderness. Moses said, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's the full quote. Well, after Jesus responded, the devil thought, well, that didn't work. The purely physical attack of hunger wasn't strong enough to fool Jesus. And how many of us will choose to go without food for a single day, even three days, to lean more on God's word than our bread? How many of us will give up food, drink, even our cell phones for a single day? How long can you go without your favorite choice of recreation? Whether it's television, your grandchildren, your food, or your addiction of choice. The people who study such things tell us it can take 40 days before we get free of a bad habit of addiction such as too much drink. That's how the long the withdrawal lasts. The cravings can last a year or more. That's why the long black train holds so many people in its grip. Next time you think that you're free from addiction, Try going three days without coffee. 
or a day without food. It will give you some understanding of what the meth addict is suffering from. Or the man who's had a couple beers every night for the last five years and then tries to quit. It isn't easy, but it can be done with the help of Christ, who fasted without food for almost six weeks. He understands. Jesus fasted 40 days without food. Now, do you realize that as long as you drink plenty of water, a 40-day fast will probably only result in the loss of 20 or 30 pounds? Of course, this isn't something you want to try unless your doctor approves of it first. And diabetics need to be particularly careful of even a few hours without food. But fasting is something that has been done by Christians since the time of Christ, for it forces our will to overcome our body. And as I look around the room, there's a lot of us that could probably do with a little bit of a fast. At another church, our youth group practiced a retreat known as 30-hour famine. They fasted from solid food for 30 hours. Not 30 days, just 30 hours. And it was a major deal for them. Maybe you might want to try it if you're healthy. Well, the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain where he could see many, many miles in all directions. Luke tells us that he could see all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. It was tempting. The devil was offering Jesus the chance to be second in command of all the earth, just needing to worship the devil, the deceiver. So many men and women have fallen for this deception. We all want to control the world around us, our home, our family, our jobs, our wealth. The Putins and Hitlers of the world didn't get there overnight. No, they got there by gradually taking control of their families, their homes, their jobs, their bosses, their friends, and expanding out from there. Eventually, they realized that they had to control the entire world. And that's what led them to World War II and to invade the Ukraine. The devil has always encouraged the power-hungry, as long as they would worship him in the end. Even American politicians are not immune to this power-hunger. You want to do good, so you run for city council. And you find that the mayor can block you and your ideas, so you run to be mayor. And then the legislature, and then governor. And then you find that Congress has blocked you, so you run for Senate and eventually for president. And the power destroys your soul because the power becomes an end in itself. And it becomes more important to win than to let the other party get credit for a good idea, a good policy. It becomes about you rather than the reason you ran in the first place. But Jesus understood that. He understood that while the kingdoms of the world had been given to the devil for now, God was more powerful than the devil. And besides, God was good. So Jesus answered again with a quote from Deuteronomy, this time 6.13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Or as Luke condensed it, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only God, you see, is worthy of worship. The devil is second rate. 
Yet there are those who have been tricked by the devil into worshiping people and things other than God. There are people even now who worship every word that particular politicians around the world say in China, in Russia, even in the Ukraine and in America. There are people who follow particular sports, even in the off-season, because the sports becomes their religion during the season. Have you seen the sickening way the NFL players kiss the Lombardi Trophy after the Super Bowl? Who will win March Madness this year? There are people who worship particular substances like gourmet diners, wine connoisseurs, drug addicts, gaming addicts, porn addicts, singers are worshipped, celebrity followers worship celebrities. Has anyone here actually watched a complete show about the Kardashians? Do you remember the deadheads? The people who traveled around the country to attend every Grateful Dead concert? Now that's worship. But with Jesus, the devil had made a second pitch and he missed again. He grimaced and he led Jesus into Jerusalem to the temple of God itself and had him go up the stairs to the very top of the temple, standing on the highest point of the temple, many stories high. He said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it's written. If he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This was a quote from Psalm 91 from which our call to worship was taken. You see, the devil knows scripture and likes to use it to confuse and mislead people. That's why we all need to study scripture, all of scripture, with other godly people so we can correct our misunderstandings before we're faced with the devil throwing scripture in our face. So many people have taken a line or two of scripture and run with it until they ran straight into a wall. How many times have you heard the don't judge me refrain from someone. The entire passage, if you look at it, it says in effect to be very careful when you judge, not don't judge, but when you judge, because you'll be judged using the same yardstick you judge others with. When the rest of Scripture is concerned, we're asked to work to understand our neighbors, to walk beside them, and to give them wise counsel, to which, unfortunately, they will often reply, don't judge me, which means that they will walk down the path and they will fall into the pit that you just warned them about. But that's their problem, not yours, if you have warned them in a loving way. The wise person understands that wisdom is about finding the answer in the gray areas of life. Children need black and white rules. Adults operate in the land of gray. That's perhaps the greatest reason to attend church and get involved with a Bible study. It gives us a deeper understanding to make decisions in a world where the choice is rarely between good and bad, but it's usually between two good options or two bad options. It gives us the wisdom to understand that there is always another option that someone could have made, but the man or woman who actually had to make the decision made a choice between two bad options and perhaps, just perhaps, had more information about the two bad options than we do when we Monday morning quarterback them. Well, Jesus stared back at the devil 
and went back to Deuteronomy 6.16, just three verses later than his previous reply. He said, Do not put your, the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Luke left off the reference to Massa, which was a place where the Israelites had complained that there was no water, but God had Moses strike a rock with his staff and water flowed from the rock. Massa, you see, means testing. The place became known as Massa and Maribal, testing and quarreling. Yet even today, many Christians quarrel and complain that God has left them and their churches alone. But God doesn't leave them alone. God simply waits for the people to turn to him in prayer. I'm convinced that the greatest miracles that are being done in Ukraine are because of the worldwide prayer for that country. People and churches grow when people believe that God is with them and ask God to handle those things which they cannot handle. Growth happens not because of our hard work, but because we expect God to do great things. Yet God doesn't like us to back him into a corner either. The devil was asking Jesus to jump for no good reason other than to prove that God loved Jesus. But Jesus knew that there was no need to test God on this. For Jesus knew that God loved Jesus just as God loves you and me. So Jesus didn't jump. And so the devil left him until an opportune time, Scripture says. And Jesus began to preach throughout Galilee in the power of the Spirit, in the synagogues, and eventually to Nazareth where he announced his mission. Holy Scripture is critical to know. Jesus had done his homework studying the Old, scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures in detail. The Apostle Paul spoke of the importance of knowing Scripture. And he also quoted from Deuteronomy 30.14 in his letter to the Romans about salvation. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. In Deuteronomy, Moses had just been telling the people that turning to God was not too difficult or beyond people's reach. It's not in heaven or beyond the sea, he said, but no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. And Moses went on, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Moses said, you've got to learn what God said. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. And Paul simplified this a bit. He said, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul goes on to explain that we are justified before God with the belief of our heart. We're de declared not guilty of the crime of rebellion. And with our mouths we profess our faith and we are saved. This is how we begin to repair our image, our sculpture of God. So if you're listening to me today and you aren't sure, then you need to focus your investigation on two points. 
First, you need to decide if the resurrection happened, if Jesus was raised by God from the dead. If the testimony of your friends hasn't led you to this conclusion, and you're the type of person who needs detailed step-by-step data, there's two good sources for this. Book, a book by Paul Little, Know Why You Believe, and another one by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Second thing you need to look at is maybe after attending church for a while and perhaps after reading the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, you need to consider whether you think Jesus is worthy of being followed, of becoming your Lord. After all, Jesus endured all the testing that we endure. He was born, he grew up as a child, he endured the troubles of being a teenager, and he worked until he was about 30 years old. And then he suffered for our benefit on the cross. If you think he is worthy of being followed, tell a friend that you've come to this decision. Now put these two together. You believe that Jesus has God's stamp of approval because of the resurrection. And you've decided that Jesus is worthy of being followed. Tell someone and then you're on the pathway which follows Jesus. You are now a Christ follower, a Christian. And the next step is baptism. And you know, if you're one of those out here who did this a long time ago, then this summary should help you know what's important in talking to other people, in evangelism. People need to believe that the resurrection happened, which is another way of saying that Jesus is God the Son. And they need to accept the Lordship of Christ, which is another way of saying that they've decided to follow Jesus. Everything else can come later For they will now begin to repair their personal sculpture of God. But now's a good time to come to the altar rail to pray for yourself or a friend or a relative. Today's a good day to come to the rail to confess sins to God and ask to be forgiven. It's a good day to come forward to pray for the health and safety and salvation of a friend or a loved one. A good time to pray for the people of Ukraine and Russia. It's a good time to come forward and tell Jesus you've decided to follow him and begin to repair your sculpture. Today there's no reason to wait Jesus 
Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Bowley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.